In a moment, I'm going to read God's word to us that I will talk about in a little while. But before that, because it is God's word and we are sinful and we need his help to understand it, I'm going to pray for us. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word that you have chosen to speak to us. And we know it is through your word and by your spirit that we are changed to be more like Jesus. And so we pray that you would change us tonight, that you would help us to hear your word, to understand it. And we pray that your spirit would come and work in us and make us more and more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. And Debbie's going to take the children up now, I believe. Also, after reading. Sorry, I should read. So Psalm 15, which you can find on page 453 if you're using these black Bibles. That's Psalm 15 on page 453. Okay, Psalm 15, a Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbour, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honours those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So now Debbie's going to take the children out. Well, I don't know about you, but we, I think we all like to ask questions. Maybe you don't like to ask questions as much now, but when you were younger, I, I wonder if you asked a lot more questions. And we all know that children are particularly good at asking questions. They often surprise us with logic that makes use of those gaps in, in, in what we ask and what we say, and they ask really surprising questions. And you might know the BBC comedy Outnumbered, something I enjoy to watch, and it's basically about the chaos of life with three children. And there's this one time when their five-year-old daughter, Karen, she's being a bit rude and unfair towards overweight people, and her grandma is trying to help her out, and she's trying to correct her, and says, Karen, a woman can be any size or shape she wants to be. And Karen just thinks for a moment. What about a hexagon? <laughs> well, as we get older, our questions become less ridiculous and more important often. Should I take this job or this job? Should we move over, over there to another town, to another city? Maybe what church should we go to, become a member of? And yet the question of Psalm 15 dwarfs all of these questions. A year and a half ago, 
I was deciding if I should marry Becky. And the question of this psalm, it dwarfs even that monumental decision. So look again at verse 1 in the psalm. It says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? I mean, this is the ultimate question. I mean, who can dwell with God, the creator of the universe, the creator of us? So perfectly good that he's irresistible. I mean, there is nothing, nothing in the world that we should want more than to enjoy being in his presence, being in a personal relationship with him. And if you saw, there's a tent in verse 1. And this tent is talking about the tabernacle. And this is the place where the high priest entered into the presence of God just once a year. Just once. And Israel, they camped, encircled all around that tabernacle. Because they wanted God's presence to be in the middle of where they lived. And then also notice the word sojourn. This is not just saying you're walking into this tent in a formal way to go and meet a king, but actually there's this idea that there is a host inviting guests in for hospitality. The God of Israel is offering hospitality. Just think, how much should we want, should you want to enjoy the Lord's hospitality? I mean, he is inviting us to come and eat and enjoy his company. And so this is the question, the question that should matter above all else. Who can live on his holy hill? And Psalm 15, it describes what the person who lives, on God's, lives in God's presence should look like. I mean, this is not an entrance test. I mean, this is not a nightclub bouncer saying, you're in, you're in, you're not, you've got the wrong shoes on, you're in. This is, it is saying that someone who is part of God's people who is part of the church, who, yeah, and this is what your life should look like. Someone who is already in the nightclub, this is what you should look like, someone who is in the church. And so there are two halves to what we're going to look at this evening. Firstly, how the psalm points us to our king. And second, how it points to make us look at ourselves. Well, you might have seen at the beginning that this is a psalm of the King David, of King David. And some think that this psalm, it was written after the Ark of the Covenant, which was basically God's earthly throne for Israel. And he was writing after it was being brought back to Jerusalem. And, And David is asking, who can dwell in God's presence? Who can have the blessing to come and enjoy a personal relationship with God? And maybe it was written after one particular time, and when the ark was being pulled on a cart toward Jerusalem, and the cart starts to tip. And so Uzzah, <coughs> good intentions, he puts his hand out to steady it. I mean, you would not want the ark to topple over, to be damaged. I mean, think of the American flag. I mean, some Americans, they hate the idea of the flag just touching the ground because the ideal of it The idea of it means so much to them. It's so important. They don't want it to be kind of vandalized or defaced by being on the ground. So how much more should Uzzah not want the ark to fall? And so maybe David is asking after this event, 
Who can dwell, who can live on God's holy hill if even Uzzah, with his really good intentions, was killed for what he did? In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah adapts this psalm and says the first question of it slightly differently. He says, who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Now, Isaiah just asked this question in a way to remind us of God's holiness. Who can stand before consuming fire and not be consumed? Any imperfection, any evil, any immorality just cannot survive being in the presence of a perfect God. Well, it won't take any of us long to look down at the next four verses, two to five, and see that in the very least, in one place, we're going to fall down and not meet what he's calling us to. But I'm pretty confident, especially after what George was uh, telling us, that we're going to find in all these areas, we're going to struggle and be insufficient in some way. And so imagine the Israelite comes to worship, and as he reflects on this psalm, he will see how he does not live up to it. But he doesn't turn around and walk away and decide he can't come to worship. Instead, it reminds him that he needs, he absolutely needs, the sacrificial system that God gave Israel. So it reminds him that he needs what God has given him. And in the same way for us, it should remind us that we desperately need Jesus' perfect life and sacrifice. And so the first answer of Psalm 15 then is, he who can dwell on the Lord's holy hill, he who can sojourn in his tent, he who does walk blamelessly and upright, it is, the, it is Jesus, our King. And you don't have to turn back, but if you did look in Psalm 2, um, it says in Psalm 2, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So Jesus is that king who the Lord has already set upon his holy hill, that same holy hill here in Psalm 15. But when you get to the end of Psalm 2, the very, um, the very last verse, the very last line says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. David tells us to take refuge in this king this king who lives on God's holy hill. And that is a wonderful truth that we can't be reminded of enough, that where we fail to live up to these expectations, and therefore we're not able to enjoy the Lord's hospitality, we're not able to enjoy personal relationship with God, we can take refuge in Jesus, our king. And we are able then, we are able to enjoy hospitality with God. We are able to enjoy a personal relationship with him. And this is by taking refuge in Jesus, by being in him, because Jesus already lives there. We are there in him. And so the first big question today is, are you taking refuge in Jesus? If you are not, do you want to enjoy living in the presence of God? Do you want to have a personal relationship with him? I mean, what could be more wonderful than to enjoy sitting down to eat dinner with the creator of the universe, who is wonderful and beautiful. And if you do trust in him and you do take refuge, then let this psalm show you that you, sorry, if you are taking refuge, then we're now going to look at how this psalm points, for us to, points us to look at ourselves now. 
So again, think of that Israelite coming to worship. He knows he needs the sacrificial system because he fails to live up to the psalm. But the psalm also does a more obvious job. The more obvious job of telling him how he should be trying to live. Now let me tell you a wonderful truth that for us, it is even, it's even more than that. Because it's not just that we're trying to be like this, but one day we can all be confident that we actually will be like this. I mean, there is going to be a day when our physical reality, it matches that spiritual reality we already have in Christ. Because right now, it's only in Jesus that we are on God's holy hill, okay? If you are taking refuge in Jesus right now, spiritually, we are all able to be in God's presence. We are able to live on God's holy hill. But there is coming a day when Jesus returns. And on that day, we will be transformed. We will be like him. And that means that we will actually meet the requirements of this psalm. And we will be able to dwell face to face, physically, not just because we're in Jesus, but we will actually be able to dwell there because of who we are. And so if you are a Christian who trusts in Jesus, then that transformation has begun already, right now, in this life, today. However fast or slow, we are all being transformed, changed to be like him. And we may not all be at the same stage, you know, we should, but we should all be in the process of being transformed somewhere along this line of transformation. And so therefore, verses 2 to 5, those final four verses, make a really good health check for us. Now, I'm not thinking the sort of health check you do to join a club, um, the sort you might do to join a golf club or to get insurance, where you just tick boxes um, saying, I don't have problems here or here or here. I mean, this is a more serious health check. It's a, it's a bit like going to the, the oncologist, where you discuss your progress. Is the cancer shrinking? What course of treatment do I need next? I mean, the health check is for us to ask, where were we five years ago? Where were we last year with these things? You know, do we need to correct the direction we're heading now? And so at, and secondly, as we're asking these questions of ourselves, please make Jesus the one that you compare yourself to. Not the people around us, the people, your neighbours, the people you see around. Because if we just compare ourselves to our neighbours who live next to us, then we're just going to end up a few steps away from them. At best. And we just end up so often being put to shame by that really loving, charitable neighbour who isn't a Christian, but they're wonderfully loving and caring. But if we look at the one who is perfect, yes, we're going to see that we are still miles from him, absolutely miles from him. But I wonder, if we focus on him, not those around us, that we might actually take big strides towards being like him, rather than just taking little tiny steps away from the people around us. So as, I ask these four, as we ask these four questions that the psalm asks us, let's aim to be like Jesus rather than aiming to not be like our neighbours and like those around us. Let's have high aims. And so this health check can be summarised in four questions. And they are, are you increasingly a person of integrity? Are you increasingly a person of moral words? Are you increasingly a person of God's perspective? 
And are you increasingly a person who cares for others before yourself? Firstly, are you a person of integrity? And this one is really the heart of what all the, the three other ones flow from. This one applies to the next three as well. You know, walking blamelessly, doing what is right, and speaking truth in the heart. They're connected here, and they're meant to be together. Okay, there's kind of a unity, a consistency between the three. Because it's not just, do you do the right thing? Are your actions right? But is your heart behind you doing the right thing? And blameless here is not just saying, are your actions, are you blameless in your actions? But actually, are you blameless when you look at your heart? And so the man in Psalm 15 who does walk with integrity, well, he is consistent right from his heart to his words and to his actions. I mean, it is amazing how quickly the things we say can just be destroyed and undermined if someone sees that we're a hypocrite, that we have not really done what we want to do, that, we've, yeah, that we betray what we do. And so if people were to find out the words we say or what's going on in our hearts, they might see we're hypocrites. So do not settle for simply doing what is right. But wrestle, wrestle with your heart so that you can delight in doing what is right. And we'll come back to this in a little while. I'm an example from my life. Well, I failed. <laughs> the second question for this health check is, are you a person of moral words, of good words, of upright words, to use the language of the psalm? Verse 3 calls us to not slander, to not bring reproach upon a friend. It's basically saying don't drag up things that are true or not true that will cause damage to someone's reputation. I mean, simply put, are we building others up with our words or are we tearing them down? I mean, as we talk to spouses, friends, colleagues at work, how do we talk about the people that frustrate us? Also think there is a fine line between discussing how you can best help and serve someone and then it's shifting into grumbling or gossip about what's going on in their lives. Or maybe you're just talking about these things, these issues that frustrate you, because you just want your opinion to be affirmed, not because you love them. Well, the person who lives on God's holy hill does not slander. He doesn't tear people down. He doesn't, he doesn't do evil to his neighbor. Thirdly, are you a person of God's perspective? In verse 3, sorry, 4 even, it says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Now, it sounds a bit harsh to me to say that we should despise someone so overstated, I mean, especially as an Englishman. But our God is a God of truth, of, of perfect goodness, and he hates what is evil. I mean, do you share the perspective of God? Do you hate evil? Really? I know I don't hate all the evil I should. But there is nothing more evil than not giving praise and glory to the only one who deserves it, God. I mean, all the evil we see are just the symptoms of rejecting the one who made us and has told us what is good and evil. And so, even more, even more than hating 
that people campaign to kill unborn babies. We should actually hate more that so many do not even acknowledge the existence of their creator, let alone worship him. Well, the flip side of this verse um, is that we should honour those who fear the Lord. Now, that seems an easy task in this room, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not so easy. Maybe there are some people in this room that find others hard to love, hard to serve. I'm sure you will try. But the psalm here is calling you to honour that person because you are to honour everyone who fears the Lord. Let me say it this way, you are to honour everyone who trusts in Jesus. Even if they frustrate you, annoy you, if they are hard to love. It also means those Christians that live down your road that might go to a different church. And that church might even seem a little weird or wacky to you. But if they fear the Lord, if they trust in Jesus, then you should love them. And so may I suggest that if nothing else, the place to start is just maybe to pray for one another. Pray for these people on your streets, even if they go to different churches. If they fear the Lord and trust in Jesus, we are to honour them. And the many ways you can honour them, I'll have to leave you to figure out yourselves as a church, as individuals. But certainly start by praying. Pray for one another. Pray for Christians in Beckentree, in Dagnum. So lastly, are you a person who cares for others more than yourself? Verses 4 and 5 call us to be selfless rather than selfish. To care for others before ourselves. Now, before you get caught up on the psalm's little issue with interest here, let me just say, it's not about the loan that you might get to get your next smartphone, your next Apple laptop. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the farmer whose crop has failed and he is struggling to make ends meet. He needs money to support his family. And it is saying, well, don't take advantage of him. Don't charge interest on him because he was in trouble. It's simply saying in verse 5, don't make a profit from someone else's misfortune. Now, maybe for us here, who I imagine most of us are not businessmen, this calls us to be careful of our expectations when we do favours and help people out. Maybe we shouldn't expect to be invited around for a meal as a thank you or expect a favour in return. Let's not capitalise, let's not take advantage of others' misfortune. But at the end of verse 4, it, is, it tells us to, that we need to stick to promises that might hurt. It, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. It's just saying we should stick to our promises, even though they might hurt us. When you make promises, you have obligations if you have a job or you have responsibilities. And sometimes circumstances change after you make that promise. And that change means that you would be better off by not fulfilling that promise, by not sticking to your word. Well, Psalm 15 says, even when it hurts, to stick to your word, to do what you said you would do, even though you might be worse off. And this was highlighted to me a couple of months ago. Um, I was invited, along with Becky, to come up here and do the music um, because there was no one around to do the music that day. And it was a beautiful sunny day. We had enjoyed the morning service at our church. We'd enjoyed a lunch with the congregation after the service. 
And then we went home, grabbed my guitar, the music, Becky got her flute, and we got in the car and started driving here to Beckentree. And you'd think that we had been hearing so many good and exciting things about God's work in this church that we would be rejoicing at being able to come and see you all. But instead, we spent the car journey talking so much about the things that we wanted to be doing. We wanted to be enjoying some quality time together after having so many busy weekends. We wanted to go out on our bikes that we hadn't had a chance to do for a long time. We even wanted to be weeding and doing gardening more than driving here. Well, you might know that we did come, and so you might be thinking, well, we kept our promise. And we kept it, even though it hurts a little bit. And this is not to do with you, it's because we enjoy, we just wanted to do gardening and enjoy time. We actually had a lovely time in the end. But this is where it comes back to that first question. Were we being people of integrity? Were my actions, my words, and my heart all in line? No. The actions were right. But our words to each other in the car, they weren't behind it. You know, we were talking about how we'd rather be elsewhere. Our words weren't saying we want to do this. We... And most certainly my heart, my desire, was not behind it. And so, when you apply that first question to the other three, we can all start to see that we're going to struggle to actually fulfill any of them. And so that now that we've asked these questions, I'm not going to say, are you fulfilling these questions? Are you doing all of these things perfectly? But what direction are you heading? Are these areas all changing in your life? Are you becoming more like your King Jesus? And these four verses are how Psalm 15 describes the worshipper of God, the one who lives in God's presence. And yes, we're going to trip, we're going to fall. We might even take a few steps backwards sometimes. And that's going to remind us of our desperate need for Jesus. But shouldn't we all want to be like this? And even more than that, like I said at the beginning, you should be confident that... We are being transformed into this. I mean, did you see the assurance at the very end of this psalm that where it says, he who does these things shall never be moved. The assurance says that whoever does these things shall never be moved. They are secure, stable. That hill is not going to come crashing down. They are there. Well, as we've said, Jesus is the one that has fulfilled this. He has perfectly fulfilled these verses, and so he can live there. He does live there. And we know that he does not change, and he's always going to fulfill this psalm. He's always going to live the way that this psalm says you have to, to live in God's holy hell. And when you put ourselves up against that, well, I think that as we assess that and where we are, could feel a bit little disheartened. might be excited about where you're going but disheartened that you don't, you're not there now but don't forget that you are right now in Christ, you are in Jesus and you are immovable you're not seeking to gain entrance anymore you are already living there and so as you seek to live out these questions you are trying to become what you already should be what you're definitely going to be in Jesus it's already who you are and so you're confident that you are just slowly being changed to conform, to match up with what is already true. And that will happen on the day that Jesus returns. 
So you, so those who walk blamelessly and do what is right and speak truth in their hearts, they will dwell on God's holy hill. And yes, we're there now, but one day you truly will be there and you'll be able to see God face to face. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you offer hospitality to us, that in Jesus we are able to enjoy living with you. We are able to enjoy your hospitality, that we will have a personal relationship, not a distant formal relationship, maybe like with the Queen of England that none of us, I don't believe any of us know personally, but that we will know you personally and we thank you that you would give that to us though we do not deserve it. And so please give us assurance from this psalm, give us confidence that we are being changed and transformed and encourage us as we see Jesus here, as we see Jesus in this psalm, that you would be changing us to be like him. We ask all of this in the name of our King, Jesus, who we're taking refuge in. Amen. Amen.